0: Robots Radio, games, lore,
1: stories, community. Just press play. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. Welcome, weary traveler. Need a short rest? Oh, I see. They said you'd be showing up about now. Come on, through the portal. Best not keep the lore mistress and more master waiting. You know how they get.
0: Robots Radio presents... The Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast... The best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons & Dragons.
1: Hello and welcome to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio and I am joined this week with an old friend, an old traveler, has wandered into the tower once again. Say hello, good sir.
0: Hello, how are you going? This is Stuart. It's been it's a while.
1: Stuart, it's Stuart.
0: Uh, I love what you've done with the place. It's looking fresh. It's yeah, looking good. Uh,
1: Mary put the curtains up. Uh, it was definitely a choice. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't been would have been mine, but you know it's uh, it's definitely uh, a choice. But uh, but yeah, no, yeah, we uh, thank you so much for coming on. I, uh, I wanted to reach out to you to see if you were interested in and coming back to the tower uh, to talk some lore, and um, just and it just happens to work out that you've got an amazing new project uh, right now as well. So very, very serendipitous. But uh, really quickly before we jump into the episode, uh, what what you, what you got going on?
0: Uh, yeah, for sure. So up on Kickstarter at the moment is uh, the Abbott Trilogy. Which is a collection of three adventures. They're system agnostic adventures, meaning that you can pretty much run them with any fantasy uh, RPG. Um, and that's for Zine Quest. and it's doing really well. It's funded; uh, two of the three stretch goals have been
1: reached, um, and yeah, it's going well. Yeah, and I personally uh, i've already i've already backed it. It's uh, without question, because and not just because you know you're an old chum. You're an old uh, a friend, but I have two of your previous products. I have um, the the zombies. What's so rotten about zombies? Defending an ancient temple, and I have wasted uh, wasted a uh, um, Baron. Uh, what's it called?
0: Wretched wasteland.
1: Wretched wasteland. I'm like trying to think. Like I kept wanting to say wasted wasteland. I'm like that's that's not that's a dumb name. You would never call something <laughs> that wretched wasteland. Wasted,
0: wasted wasteland sounds like a <laughs> game about getting drunk. I think. But uh,
1: right, right. Um, and I have both of those, and I mean the the writing is top notch. The artwork stands out beyond a, a lot of you know, um, a lot of like you know, um, self published stuff that I've seen. Uh, it's got that sort of almost um, black metal uh, yeah. like vibe to it, aesthetic to it, which I love. And so, yeah. even if you weren't uh, an erstwhile host, even if you weren't uh, a good friend this would be worth picking up. Absolutely. we'll talk a little bit more about it at the end of the show. Um, And of course links to the Kickstarter and all that in the show notes for sure. Um, And you'll have a, good. it's fully funded. You still have a couple more days to back it,
0: but yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: We are talking lore. We're talking the sunless Citadel, which I asked you uh, what, you know, what lore topic you'd be interested in talking about. And, and you brought this up, which was interesting. So why, why the Sunless Citadel?
0: So I get, I mean, it's partly because my mind has all been about adventures and stuff uh, for, for obvious reasons over the last few months. Um, it's also because I've never, so this adventure, um, it was originally written for uh, 3.5. Um, by Bruce R. Uh, Cordell. Cool. Yep. Um. Um, and then re-released with the Yawning Portal uh, for Fifth Edition, and that's where I found it. So I've played it a lot with the the uh, with Fifth Edition, and it's an adventure that I've run a, a heap of times. It's kind of my uh, starting adventure. If I've got a new group, uh, you know, I, I run the I still run the after school D and D club. So I'll often run that adventure as, as an intro to D and D I'll, and I'll get kids to run it as an intro to D and D because I think it's, it's written really well and it's laid out and the pacing's quite good, has a good mixture of combat and social stuff. Um, and I've never really dived into the law. Like I, I, like it's interesting. There's not now granted. There's not a lot of, it's not law heavy. However, if you dive deep, there are a few little bits in here that are um pretty interesting, and it also puts some of the more common d and d monsters lore in action, which we'll talk about a bit later as well.
1: right, right. But uh yeah, like you said, it's a bit it's widely considered one of the best like intro d and d adventures, uh, like you said, originally written uh third edition days. It got updated in Tales from the Yawning Portal. But if you haven't, uh, like if you recently started with D&D with 5th edition and you haven't played uh, older editions or you haven't gone through Tales of the Yawning Portal, this adventure involves a once-proud fortress that has fallen into the earth in an age long past. Rechristened the Sunless Citadel, its echoing broken halls now house nefarious races and malign creatures. Evil has taken root at the citadel's core, which is deep within a subterranean garden of blighted foliage. And it's here that a terrible tree and its dark shepherd plot in darkness. So this tree is called the Gulthias tree. And we'll get into the lore of that uh, here in a little bit. And then the shepherd... Is this twisted druid Balak the outcast and Black the outcast is an interesting character not a whole lot of lore on him outside this adventure uh but I love that archetype of uh of a of a and we we discussed like shadow druids um in a in a previous episode okay so that that idea that that archetype of a of a druid who you know went against um his his uh, his clan or his teachings. So Balak was drawn to the Buried Citadel uh, 12 years ago, following stories of oddly enchanted enchanted fruit to their source. And what he found was this age-old fortress that was pulled below the earth by some past magically invoked devastation. And with its ancient inhabitants long dispersed, vile and opportunistic creatures common to lightless dungeons infest the subterranean ruins, the aforementioned... uh, Cobolds and goblins that, uh, that whose lore is on display here. But at the old fortress's core is where Black the outcast, stumbles upon the Twilight Grove. He discovers the Grove's heart, which is the tree, the Golthias tree, which is sprouted from a wooden stake used to slay an ancient vampire. And upon the Golthias tree, magical fruit extrudes forth. A single perfect ruby red apple ripens at the summer solstice and a single albino-like white apple ripens at the winter solstice. Now, the midsummer fruit grants you vigor and health and life uh, like the uh, superfood, essentially, like the uh, uh, acai berry for D&D. While the midwinter fruit takes that from you, takes your vigor, takes your health, takes your life. And so in the years since Black's arrival, the enchanted fruit has enjoyed wider dispersal in the surrounding lands, promoting both good and ill. But the seed of either fruit, followed to sprout, springs forth only ill. Vaguely humanoid and evilly animated stick bundles known as twig blights eventually spring forth. So that's the start of the adventure, which... I mean, it's got, like I said, it's got dark druids. It's got mm. vampire lore. It's got evil trees. Yeah. I mean, like I, I could see why this is, became so popular.
0: Yeah, and it's a, that sort of sets the scene for, for the DM. And when the uh, when the adventurers arrive, they don't know any of that. All they know about is the is the the that the, the, the Sunless Citadel exists. That people go adventuring there. And that there's these depending on which hook you take, uh, there's these goblins that come out of there and, and trade their the, the fruit with them once a year. Um, and and I I I really love that setup. Like you come to this like it, the the town that's in there is called Oakhurst, and it's a pretty pretty average town. Really, it's a nice, it's a good starting town um, because it doesn't have a huge amount of options in there, and there's a few little quest hooks that that'll, that'll set you off towards a sunless
1: citadel um but yeah, oh, yeah. That's a, that yeah that's some a of those little starter. quest hooks will be um that um like cattle herders won't graze their stock too far um you know from their fields you know they're mm. being frightened of the stories of new monsters that go that skulk the night um and even though no one has seen the creatures or like leave any kind of discernible trail. Um, Still uh, cattle and people for that matter, who have been caught out alone, have been found dead the next day, pierced by dozens of needle like claws.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the adventure has three hooks and and they're, they're, you know, one's just like you're, you're adventurers and you want to go there. One is that you're contracted to find another adventuring party. And the next is solving the mystery about the, uh, The missing fruit. So essentially what happens is when they're traded uh, when they trade for one of the pieces of fruit with the goblins, whenever they plant the seeds, it gets to a certain height and they wake up in the morning and it's gone. So they think, oh, by the way, this is super spoiler heavy. So uh, we're not holding any bars here with with spoilers. So if you uh... Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, (laughs) uh,
1: this we're going into details on the plot points of this adventure and its lore. Uh, So if you ever plan on playing in it as a as a pc uh you might want to not i mean if you uh are uh almost almost forever dm like uh i have found myself to be uh, i do have one game where I, I get to play on a fairly regular basis uh <laughs> and, and thank you so much brian for that uh but uh if, if so then yeah like this like this is a great starting point for um for folks who want to DM for the first time or or have yeah. a couple of people who uh are interested in playing D D but don't know where to start.
0: Yeah, yeah. So just keep keep that in mind. We're gonna we're gonna pull this thing apart a bit and talk all, all about those things. Um so it's actually that these the the twig blights grow out of the seeds from the fruit. So they're not they're not getting stolen. They're just turning into twig blights and running off into the forest. Um which is why they're everywhere. So as you go adventuring and making your way towards the Sunless Citadel, you'll be attacked by twig blights and you'll find twig blights in, in the Sunless Citadel as well. Um, so the background, so there's heaps of background lore about what this structure was. And it was essentially a, um, it was a cult of the dragon temple. So throughout this, dungeon there's all this uh, dragon iconography everywhere
1: there's right like statues
0: illusions. yeah yeah like statues and um things you know carvings through walls and and whatnot um so and then for whatever reason the, there was a, a a major catastrophic event and it fell into into the, the earth and that's actually i it's actually pretty important sort of not really like it depends at where you go but if you find certain things in this adventure it does does become important it also explains why the kobolds are there so there's this group of kobolds i'm gonna butcher this name but i think it's uh used trail
1: the we, kobold we've gone over this plenty of times uh mary and and myself and even and even sean uh these names are all made up these <laughs> names are real. You could say them however you want for the most part.
0: <laughs> no one's going to get these. We're not going to offend them. Um, So there's these kobolds living in there. And they, uh, they've they set up like a, a bit of a hierarchy. There's someone that sits on the throne, which is Uzdrael, um, And they are in conflict with a group of goblins who have set up a bit deeper into the dungeon. Uh My understanding of this is that Kobolds may have come from the surface and the, or, or earlier come from the Underdark because there is a little access to the Underdark in this adventure. And the goblins have come afterwards and they're in sort of constant conflict. And they're the two sort of main parties that are um, the social complexity in there. So, the, part of the cool thing about this adventure is, is actually the first time around this adventure uh it was one of the first times I ran D&D and everyone just got slaughtered uh so they killed everybody uh they were like ah monsters and and, and it was also the players sort of first time to
1: play Yeah D&D. and and this is a very early level I mean it's uh it's recommended as a as a first level adventure um it says that if mm. you want them to have a slightly easier time you can start them at second or third level um but yeah. no, this is a pretty low level and as a result uh could be deadly
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's some stuff in here that's super challenging, really. Um, they, but starting off, they, they, you know, they come across some some giant rats and a skeleton, and that's all pretty pretty tame. Um, but they're first into so the whilst the first time I ran this adventure, they just slaughtered everybody. After that, um, the very first kobold you come across is a little. Crying kobold called Meep Meepo. Now, Meepo was the person in charge of Calcrix, who is a white dragon wormling uh, that they had as a pet, and it was stolen by the goblins. And that sort of sets up the conflict between the goblins and the, and the kobolds. Um, and I loved it because instantly you're like, oh, so. Mipo is like, yeah, come and help me. Let's we'll go speak to Uzradil and we'll get, you know, we'll just chat with them. And so it changes this idea of the monsters being things that you have to kill, to being someone you go and hold court with because there is all this stuff in there about how to how to interact with the kobolds,
1: um, which is definitely out of the ordinary for uh, for most parties. Who, well, I mean, um, I I, and. I say like the adventure was written like we said initially in the three E days, which um it seems like now the idea of sort of befriending this weeping kobold and making it like a mascot of the team is a more of a five E trope, fifth edition trope. Yeah. Like I feel like like the players nowadays would really hold on to that rather than like, no, let's just kill everything in our path. Uh so yeah. it's a little it's a little ahead of its time in that regard for sure.
0: For sure, Meepo has has often become a uh, a part, a member of the party, and like a prized, um, protected NPC for 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 the players in, in in numerous games that I've run, which is which is cool. Um, yeah, uh, and and it's inter- like the other thing that's interesting here is that it does it also shows you like the living quarters of the kobolds. It's not just like this. Um, it's not abstracted like there's literally a living quarters where you can they they offer you just uh, the to stay the night and there's just like stinky meat uh that is uh, rotating on on over the fire and they're like you're hungry and it's like oh no man, i'm not <laughs> you can eat it and you can uh, get uh damaged by it
1: Yeah. roll that constitution um, check
0: yeah that's right uh and you you know as you go deeper and deeper you you know you come across the the um you come across Dern who is the leader now of the Dubaak tribe of go, uh, goblins um and even there there's like layered law there layered history so Dern actually usurped this the, the the leadership of this tribe so when you meet them you there's you notice that his offsider like hates him and and you can then try and work in cahoots with them to overthrow this this usurper. Um, So there's lots of sort of layered social stuff in there that isn't just combat, um, especially with, between those two parties. And this top, this is the the first layer of the dungeon. And I think it's really, you can play, I've played it just with this first layer a number of times and have not included Belak at all, especially if it's just like a one shot. Um, So, sorry, my voice is going croaky. <clears throat> um yeah uh and then and then this there's this undercurrent of all the the cold of the dragon now, on this first level, there's a secret um there's a secret room that is actually really hard for a first part of, like a first level party, it's exceptionally hard to open um and it's the sort of thing you'd need to come back to at the end of the adventure, I think, like when you're second or third level because um, it is particularly challenging. And I don't think many, like, I think you have to get over it. You'd have to roll a, a 20 or something to to unlock the door. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. But I don't recall too many people opening it. But but in there, you find, uh, like, a secret room that has um, uh, a dragon priest who used to be an elf and turn themselves into a troll trying to uncover the secrets of the uh, the dragon cult. Um, and in with, they'll, they'll wake up when you open their tomb and you got to fight this troll at level one, which doesn't, that just, that doesn't, that doesn't go down very well. <laughs> um,
1: it usually doesn't end well at all. Uh, I do, no. I like the idea of you, um, just having the top layer of this dungeon, the top level of this dungeon being the, being the whole adventure, um, uh, mm. especially as an intro to D&D because yeah. it, um, you're able to you know get some of the mechanics down. you're able to get some role playing in make decisions do we want do we want to do combat do we want to use um other options such as uh like persuasion or investigation do we want to um like uh, try talking to, do we want to interacting in a diplomatic way with these kobolds? and so you kind of get an idea of what d and d like a microcosm of what d and d is and what it can be. All in one, very easy to follow mini adventure. I like that a lot. And then, I heard, yeah. like you said, then it gets, and then it kind of it gets a little hard. <laughs> yeah, Once the does, dragon, yeah. the dragon, dragon cults complicate everything.
0: To be honest, dragon <laughs> cults do really make it hard to deal with. Uh, they, it, it's cool like that. And and so there's this um, one of the hooks is that there's another group of adventurers, and Talgan, Sharwin, Caracas, and sub who have all gone in there before you and on the first level you can find the remains of two of them um one of those remains is under a pile of other remains that has an infested giant rat who's like i think uh, who has like all these baby rats uh, which is super gross and also as a first level adventure it's really cool because you've been fighting a few giant rats and you can take them down fairly easily. And then there's just like a boss giant rat that, that's slightly tougher and can like poison you and whatnot. But under in underneath a pile of bodies, you find one of those, uh, the ranger, and you can sort of start piecing together what's happened to this, these, these adventurers. Um, the, the second one that's on that level is has been killed by Dern, the the, the goblin leader. And you, the only way you sort of recognize that is that he's wearing, he's actually wearing the guy's armor and his, his like signet ring. You can see this like, this noble fighter's signet ring on a goblin. You're like, I don't think things have gone well for
1: Targan. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk a little about the, little bit about the dragon cult really quick. Um, Like you said, um, it's sort of, um, you know, doesn't have necessarily anything directly to do with the adventure. You can just gloss over the fact that there was a dragon cult that built this temple, and then never deal with it again, mm. or you can use it as a starting point to a much larger campaign, which I feel is is a great choice in, in yeah. the design of this adventure.
0: So there is a named dragon in this adventure. There uh-huh. is. There cool. absolutely is. So was like serious. Just, I didn't know I, this. So this is like, this is what I mean. I never died into the lore. It wasn't until last night. I was like, oh, they've actually named this guy. And I Googled them. I'm like, holy shit. That is a serious dragon.
1: That, that, this that is, is a very serious dragon. Uh, yep. dragon by the name of Ashardalon, a yep. red dragon that was so powerful that mortals worshipped him. One of those mortals was Golthias, the vampiric head of the cult. And there is a great uh, quote from Galthias, who says, "Necromantic metabolism and faith are indistinguishable. What is animation of fallow tissue if not faith so pure and undiluted that it can reach past the grave?" Um. Yeah. Right. That's that's some twisted thinking there, um, well, and it
0: explains the dragon, the 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 dragon priest. That's that's sort of
1: living in
0: eternity like they're they're immortal essentially uh that you find hidden
1: because
0: so been diving into that lore
1: uh Arshadalan was mortally wounded in a battle with a circle of powerful ancient druids led by a woman named died uh, it's unclear what happened to the body to the dragon's body but the great worm's heart was harvested and placed in the well-protected core of Nightfang Spire, which is the ultimate relic of his cult. So Golthias, the chief cultist, noticed that there, there was some residual potency remaining within the heart. The cult determined to follow Ashadolan's lead into death, and so, ritualistically, over the course of several years, converted the temple to a mass tomb, and then finally, they each took their own lives, all perfectly timed to a heartbeat. But then I said, I love the way phrase that something strange happened, as if any of that that <laughs> just <laughs> proceeded was not strange at all. It's possible that some enigmatic, enigmatic other planar agency is ultimately responsible for what happens. Um, it could be that you know, some elder god or elder evil. Um, Their attention was brought forth to this ritualistic sacrifice, but whatever it was, that ritualistic sacrifice awakened, for for lack of a better term, the heart, supercharging it with negative energy. And Gothias, as a chief cultist, was raised to unlife by his own physical proximity to the heart. Mm -hmm. In fact he gained some sort of link to it, to the now magical heart, from which he was able to draw untold negative power. And he began to use this power to raise other cults back into unlife. And his goal was the renewal of the cult, but with an undead perspective, an undead twist. Uh, unfortunately for him, but fortunately for everyone else, Gothias got himself staked to the earth in a distant place before he could get his plan off the ground. And for centuries, it seems as if that was just the end of that undead cult. But Golthias has recently returned. And where, pray tell, dear listener, was he... What place of the earth was he staked to? Well, if you guessed the Sunless Citadel, well, then (laughs) you have earned yourself 15 lore cast points.
0: (laughs) Yeah, man. It's so cool that that So that's... And so none of this is like explained there's the, the it's not like you have this is in the adventure it's just that there's there's the name i believe it's um it's sc- scrawled in blood on one of the first rooms you go into and then you, the, you don't actually find the shrine uh to to a shadow on until the second level and there's a shrine in there that and um my my thinking now that i've i've dived into that is that if you get into that secret room and find the dragon priest it, it notes that it the dragon priest still speaks elven and draconic um and it has been entombed with a uh, a ritualistic dagger a silver amulet and four spell scrolls and i'm like maybe they're all the ingredients you need to Uh, start an adventure or or a campaign that leads to either destroying or resurfacing a Shardalon, um, which is, which is such a cool little tiny little thing in there that, that you could turn into a whole campaign.
1: No, I mean, yeah, it's just little, little nuggets of lore that, like I said, like could mean nothing, just flavor text for the adventure. Or mm. something that you could extrapolate into a full-fledged campaign. It's it's yes. awesome. I mean that's that's the that's the beauty of uh, of how the adventure was written.
0: Yeah, spot on. And and just and like there's just so many little bits in there. Like there's there's Calcrix, the 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 white dragon wormling, who's been stolen by the goblins, and the goblins can't actually control them very well. Uh, and whilst it's a white dragon and not the most intelligent, you can communicate with it. So another thing that's happened is that people have just like made Calric's into one of their followers, or, you know, or a part of their um, their party, which I also loved. The same thing with um, this is a terrible name, and I don't know why this name is in there. But there is a uh, a bugbear on the second level whose name is i'm going to say it's meant to be balsag but it's <laughs> it's but it it's, it, it's just,
1: it looks like something else
0: <laughs> yeah, and i'm like and i yeah, anyway it's a poor name but he he has two trained giant rats called grip and fang and he is stand what he does is he stands at the entrance to the underdark that's where his like hunting ground is and goes into the underdark hunting for things under there which is just so freaking cool um he, uh, he it says that he attacks anyone that comes comes near him but i've often run that that bugbear as someone that doesn't do that because he is a he is an intelligent hunter um who's you know intelligent enough to to tame and train uh to giant rats um and he's also wearing like deer antlers as as like a crown because it makes him scarier um so i've also i've often run that guy as 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 a as someone you're going to interact with who's not going to be your friend um but
1: no and not some. necessarily an automatic antagonist
0: yeah because like i just think it's far more interesting to have this you know subterranean hunter uh to sort of give you some information for a price um, about the Underdark uh, because I feel like if you're dealing with the Dragon Cult, you're probably going to go some to some pretty nasty places. Um, and then there's also a few other little odd things. Like there's Urky Timbers, uh, a gnome who's been trapped by the, the, the goblins in there, you can find. He doesn't have much to say uh, about the outside world, more just about the adventurers that have gone, uh, gone missing. Um, and another thing that uh, and the cool thing about him is he's also someone that often becomes a part of the party doesn't have a lot going on for him he can do like turn undead and has a few spells um but he you know is quite handy and then there is oh that's the other thing Cowcricks. if you kill Cowcricks, um <laughs> uh, which i you know you might have to because he's Cowcricks is uh quite violent and uh,
1: I, yeah i guess depending on how the dm runs the runs the creature
0: yeah yeah exactly uh i think it's she actually i think kakrix says she um she has a scroll right that um has the uh, a dwarven rune on it that says uh kundraka and then if you open it and you can speak dwarven there is there is a, 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 a part of a letter that can be transcribed and it's signed by someone called uh, Durgedon. Have you ever heard about Durgedon?
1: I have not.
0: Durgedon Fohammer is a, I believe, a Greyhawk character um, called Durgedon the Black and the wrathful smith, leader of a Dwarven group of refugees that fled to the destruction of their hold two centuries ago. Uh, they found caverns beneath the stone tooth and founded a new hold known Kundraka. There, dedicated to the creation of arms to slay the enemies of dwarven kind. Why does this white dragon Wormling have this? And it is... This is another thing that I had not, I just sort of glanced over throughout um, my time playing this. Uh, But that's pretty wild to me that this exists. Um, It can be used. Some random dwarves. It can be used as a quest starter for the next adventure in um, uh, the Forge of Fury. So it can be used for that. Um, But if you're not planning on doing that, you've got this other little tiny maybe found item that could be uh, head down another completely different path, which I also love. Um, And there's one other sort of strange creature that you find in this adventure, and it's a fire snake. A fire snake is a pretty serious uh, monster to come across if you are level one or two. Um, have you ever spoken about a fire snake before?
1: They we have are... not covered fire snakes. So I feel like I... we could do the show every week for years upon years on decades and still not cover every single thing.
0: Exactly. Right. Uh, so it's a, it's an elemental um, for the uh it's, it's only challenge writing one. However, it has a multi-attack, so it can attack with its bite and its tail, um, which does essentially... It does 1d4 plus 1 like piercing damage and then 1d6 fire damage and does that for both of those attacks. So if you're still level 1 when you get to this thing, uh, that's pretty serious. It's... Um, and it's immune to fire so your your first level mage with firebolt uh is is out of the game instantly and i couldn't understand when, like there's, there's a little note that explains why it's there and it's because it, it is a greedy animal so it's a greedy monster and it and it loves uh jewels and gems and so Balak has just like placed all these jewels and gems near it and it is just like hoarding them and so Balak has has essentially created a a living booby trap uh with this fire snake um it's a it's a it's actually even got a heated body so anyone that stands near it takes one d6 fire damage as well so even your fighter running in to fight it um can get uh you know cop quite a bit of damage just for engaging in combat with it um and that, that, these are the little odd things that at, at first glance, I'm like, I remember when I first ran this, probably the first handful of times I ran this, I never used the fire snake because I'm like, yeah, this doesn't make sense to me. But as you dive into the lore more and more, it, it does actually start coming together.
1: That being said, we're going to take a quick break go to the middle of the show. And when we come back, we're going to talk more uh, about the Sunless Citadel. We we'll talk about the Gylthias tree, some of the lore behind this uh, pretty awesome and evil plant that that will definitely kill you, uh, and some other cool stuff. We'll be right back. Welcome to the middle of the show. Of course, this is where we do all of our midly housekeeping stuff, like thanking you, thanking the listener. Thank you so much for supporting the show by listening to it. If you want to support the show in other ways, there are many, many other ways to do so, uh, such as joining the Discord and continuing the conversation with the Lorecast community there. Always fun stuff there. We've got uh, advice on how to uh, DM, on how to run adventures, on... um, Building characters, building uh, NPCs, memes—it's your—it's your one-stop shop if you are interested in uh, in talking lore and, and talking D and D. Pretty much, uh, you could also follow us. We are at D and D Lorecast pretty much everywhere—your X's and Blue Skies and TikToks and Instagrams and all that. Um, we, we don't have much figured out, but we did have—we do have the branding figured out, so that—that's good. So if you—if you look for D and D Lorecast. Uh, you'll you'll pretty much find us you can also leave us five-star reviews on spotify or on apple podcasts uh wherever you listen to your wherever you um happen to get the lorecast from and lastly but not least uh, if you really want to support the show in a very special way you can go to patreon.com slash dnd lorecast and sign up for the patreon we have tiers all the way up from uh from five bucks all the way up to 75 with a bunch of cool benefits uh, in fact let's give a quick shout out to our newest patrons want to give a shout out to chips and denise and ian sebastian atari brian caro and joe thank you all so much for recently joining the patreon uh it is very much appreciated it's incredibly humbling that uh, you know, thinking back when I was um, sitting in in my bedroom uh, obsessively reading over D and D books, <laughs> uh, that anyone would uh, care to support me to 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 do that, to do exactly that. So thank you so much. Um, links to everything are in the show notes, of course, obviously. Um, let's move on to news for the week. Well, the biggest news is that they have officially announced release dates for all of the books. I was going to save for all the books for 2024, but there's one that snuck into 2025. Uh, everything that they've announced so far now has an official release date. We are starting off in May, on May 21st, with Vecna, Eve of Ruin, which is a... Normally, these uh, these adventures go from 1st level through usually about 13th level. This one goes from 10th through 20th level, and it promises to be a multiverse, hopping... Uh, adventure to save existence. Vecna wants to. Vecna wants to do what Vecna always is trying to do, which is rule everything. So it says that you can. You're going from uh, from Faerun, the Forgotten Realms, to Greyhawk, to Orth, to Ravenloft, and the Dread, the Domains of Dread. Uh, it's it sounds a lot of fun. It sounds a lot like um, Die Vecna Die, which was the the last adventure that kind of ushered in. 3rd edition, The Last Adventure in Advanced D&D, 2nd edition, and ushered in 3rd edition, and it's kind of used as a way to explain, quote-unquote, the differences between the two versions as far as, like, you know, in-universe. In so I think this might be something very similar as, um, you know, obviously, they say that the new um, core books, which let's we'll get to that the dates in a second, the core books are supposed to be completely compatible with 5th edition, But I mean, there are going to be some changes, obviously. So I think that uh, that's going to, the Vecna Eve of Ruin is going to explain those differences in in universe, at least. Anyway, so that's May 21st. A couple months later, on July 16th, we get Quests from the Infinite Staircase, which is another uh, anthology collection. Uh, It's a lot like Tales from the Yawning Portal, where they're taking old adventures, updating them to 5e rules for the newer players. And if it's anything like Tales from the Yawning Portal, it's going to be awesome. Those I love those anthologies. They make great uh, one-shot adventures, convention adventures, and bringing back old older adventures, like much loved adventures, uh, is always is always good in my in my opinion. And so the core books, the 2024 core books have been announced. Release dates: We've got the Player's Handbook on September 17th, and then a couple months later on November 12th, we've got the Dungeon Master's Guide. And then sneaking all the way into February 2025, on the 18th of that month, we'll finally get the Monster Manual. So uh, we're not getting, unfortunately, not getting the Core rule books all in the same year, all in the 50th anniversary of D&D. Um, but they had mentioned this previously up until like a year ago, that the, the print runs are just so massive that they really couldn't find any printer that could accommodate all three books at the same time. So they they were going to have to stagger them. And the fact that they're coming out later, I would rather it be late and done right than rushed and having, you know, all these issues. So take your time, D and D take your time wizards. When it comes to this sort of stuff, you know, we've still got, you know, everything else that we've got. Uh, and so do it right. Because if you do it wrong, it's going to be wrong like forever. So, our final bit of news for this week. Uh there is now an official D&D live theatrical experience. Uh, it's called 20-sided Tavern. It's going to premiere in New York City uh this spring. An article from Variety says that the cast will include five actors and more than 30 characters that may appear. The show boasts a fantasy world set in the Forgotten Realms as well as puzzles, combat, riddles, and opportunities for audience members to join the cast on stage and test their strength or dexterity or wisdom or charisma uh, there will be a variety of games like trivia charades and fantasy beer pong uh, which will ensure that no two shows are the same uh that sounds that sounds like a lot of fun it sounds like uh like a blast uh and hopefully they take that on the road hopefully it becomes a traveling show and uh because i don't live anywhere close to new york and um, I probably won't be there anytime soon. So, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's a success and begins to, uh, like I said, um, travel around. Okay, now, in terms of uh, homebrew shenanigans, we're talking the Gothias tree, which is a type of blight. So, I'm looking to see what kind of fun stuff can we find on the DM's guild uh, concerning that. Well, I found something from Glenn Cooper and Dreadful Dungeons, an adventure called the Tree of Blight which you can own for only 2 95 A blood-curdling scream shatters our adventurers' rest as they set up camp for the evening. Without warning, the forest comes alive and a heroic struggle begins as our adventurers battle to avoid becoming the forest's latest victims. Take your players deep into a cursed glade on a dark and stormy night to confront an evil druidess and a horrifically corrupt tree. So this is a two to three hour adventure for characters anywhere between levels one and five. You've got maps, you've got uh traps, um detailed NPCs to interact with, stat blocks, a brand new monster, loot, magical items. Uh, and it's got four and a half star ratings. Uh it's looks incredible, looks amazing, and I love the two to three hour time span. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a big fan of one-shots recently for some reason uh running you know running an entire experience within a you know 3 to 5 hour window and something like this is perfect for that s- sort of thing i know that in the campaign that i regularly play in uh sometimes the uh the dm will need some need some extra time to prepare for the ensuing adventures or um there will be one or two of of the party missing and so we'll run a one-off, one-shot. And so something like this is perfect to you know, fit right in. So check it out. Links are in the show notes for all the stuff that we talked about, including the Tree of Blight. That being said, let's jump back to the show. Ah! Welcome back from the middle of the show. We're sitting with Stuart Watkinson. We're talking the Sunless Citadel. One of his favorite go-to's, uh, one of one of the first uh, adventures he ran as a DM, um, mm. the 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 start, the very humble beginnings of a master, of a ga- of a of a expert game master. Oh,
0: why thank you. Course, uh, yeah, course. great adventure, great adventure. We have been talking a lot about the mainly about the, the the first level of this adventure, which has a very different feel. It's all stone walls uh there's kobolds and goblins in there
1: it's standard and dungeon fare
0: it does it is it is and like i've said i've run that as its own and it works perfectly fine if you just remove all of the um balak and the G- gathias tree stuff however once you descend into the second level it changes you are it the whole vibe sort of changes it turn, it's whilst it's still stone walls They're stone walls that are filled with like a subterranean uh, greenhouse happening. There's all these uh, bioluminescent fungi that, that sort of light the place. There are a few fires around that are for lighting, but for the most part, you're sort of in this really strange neon colored greenhouse where there are twig blights that are commanding, skeletons to work in the greenhouse so it's it's a very 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 different vibe very cool it's very it's much more dangerous i find so usually you'd want to have your your characters leveled up to level two by now if not level three uh um, but level two is, is suffice and that's something you that's know.
1: mentioned in the adventure is that if you start at level one uh your your players should usually progress level two and like you said probably end it at level three
0: yeah for sure um the 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 confrontation with well we'll get to that in a minute uh (laughs) the other thing that you you find in in here uh in on this second level is a dragon library so leaning and fallen stone bookshelves fill this chamber through though a clear path connects wooden doors on opposite walls torn and burnt out pages, bindings and scrolls from disordered piles in the corner. There are there's not much you can find because most of it's destroyed. However, there is a a tome of dragon lore bound in dragon scale and written in draconic that can be found there. Um, there's also which is if you're thinking of a uh, a a, a campaign there's a little nugget that you can uh, hang on to Uh, and then also a Shadalon shrine is down here I'll just read that one as well dragon carved granite blocks line this chambers walls and ceiling though many are crumbled and broken leaving stony debris on the floor a huge marble statue of a rearing dragon stands in the curve of the western wall the eye sockets of the dragon are empty but a red glow lingers there providing reddish light throughout the chamber the radiance cast an ink the radiance casts an inky shadow behind the statue's wide wings a 5-foot diameter circular tile of dark stone is set in the floor in the front of the dragon statue runes are carved around the circular tile's inner edge uh Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool. You can actually get a, bang, a a boon here in in that space. So whilst it seems ominous and scary, if you engage with it, you get a benefit. You can get a, a get advantage on charisma checks for 24 hours. So another little piece that makes following this line of the dragon cult enticing. Uh as opposed to terrifying as it should be,
1: right? And just again, uh, just another little uh, lore nugget, just embedded yeah. in that could mean nothing, or it could mean uh, the rest of the campaign that your characters are playing in.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and so you slowly move through here, and you make your way into the um, the grove where you find the the twilight grove, which is where. Uh black and the galthias tree are uh along with two of the other adventurers who are on first looks are gray and pale-eyed uh, and don't look very healthy
1: yeah these these adventures um in the uh if you um hang around the the town that uh where the adventure starts of uh, starts off at um uh what was it called Oakhurst Oakhurst. When you start off in Oakhurst, you can of course, you know, do the usual sorts of um D&D things, talk to the tavern keep, talk to uh other uh citizens other of, of the village, uh, and you can get some uh information on missing adventurers. And these are a couple of them. Uh you've got the um the adventurer of it uh, goes by the name Sir Bradford uh, of course, the name like Sir, he's in full-scale mail. Uh, and then you've got Sharwin in leggings and a half-robe. And they uh, are not themselves at all. Seemingly, um, your characters are able to tell uh, by looking at them that their skin is appears rough and almost bark-like. Mm. Um, and Bilok says that they've been accepted by the Gothias tree so the Gothias tree so the legends tell of a vampire named Gothias who worked terrible magic and raised up an abominable tower named Night Nightfang Spire Um, he, we alluded to him earlier he's the leader of the dragon cult but he was undone when a hero plunged a wooden stake through his heart but as the vampire was destroyed, his blood infused the stake with a dreadful power. In time, tendrils of new growth sprouted from the wood, growing into a sapling infused with the vampire's evil essence. It's said that a mad druid discovered the sapling, transplanting it to an underground grotto where it could grow. From this Golthias tree came the seeds from which the first blights were sown. Now, wherever a tree or a plant is contaminated by a fragment of an evil mind or power, a Gothias tree can rise to infest and corrupt the surrounding forest. Its evil spread will spread through the roots and soil to other plants, which then perish or themselves transform into blights. And as those blights spread, they poison and uproot other healthy plants, replacing them with brambles or toxic weeds or others of their kind. And in time, an infestation of blights can turn any land or forest into a place of complete corruption. In fact, forests that are infested with blights, um, those trees and plants will grow with supernatural speed. Vines and undergrowth spread rapidly through buildings and overrun trails and roads, and after blights have killed or driven off their inhabitants, whole villages can disappear in the space of days. Blights are independent creatures, but most act under a Goliath tree's control, often displaying the habits and traits of the life force or spirit that spawned them. And so by attacking their progenitor's old foes or seeking out treasures valuable to it, they carry on the legacy of long-lost evil and this is exactly what belak the, the outcast is essentially uh obsessed with what he's mm. what he's been tending what has transformed sir Braford and sharwin into these uh zombie like uh shells of humans shells of humanoids mm. with bark like skin yeah. it's uh i mean it's Everything about this adventure is just chef's kiss.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's super dark and creepy. And and but Balak himself, when you meet him down here, he seems quite. <laughs> I feel as if he's written a, a bit like a, a moustache twirling villain. But once you, <laughs> really dive into this lore and figure out, oh, okay, no, he's he's got a master plan here. He's trying to make a. Full on corruption, uh, uh, corrupted, uh a corrupted ravine, vale mountain. I don't know how far he wants this to spread. Um,
1: well, I mean, yeah, and- he's he's this outcast druid. He he mentions that his druidic society had expelled him because he dared to expand nature's reach in ways their puny minds couldn't grasp. And so it's it's taking the the ideas, uh, the philosophy of a druid, and twisting it into something that's evil. Uh, you know, at at best harmful, at worst completely evil. Which mm-hmm. is again something that really appeals to me is that uh, taking the idea of something that is supposed to be good, meant to, meant for good, and maybe ratcheting it up to eleven, taking it to its you know extreme, uh, taking the philosophy to its extreme and seeing where it goes from there.
0: Yeah. It, we've talked a bit about campaign starters from this, and there is a single line in this that says, um, uh, while this... Okay, so combat. If a fight breaks out, which will happen, unless the characters actually submit to Balak. Balak. Now... What if your players did submit to Balak? That would that changes the the face of your campaign com- completely. But I think also makes it quite interesting in that I guess it would become an evil evil themed campaign but Balak then becomes your um what's a good word for that? A handler. Bullock. Yeah, your handler. Yeah. Sending you out pimp, into the <laughs> <laughs> your villainous pimp. Um sending you off into the world to do the what what needs to be done for the for the goth tree and, and to, to spread that corruption. Uh you become an an, an an evil druid's uh henchman, uh which I think has is an interesting sort of idea. Often, often, people often want to play a an evil campaign uh i've i've had people ask about playing an evil campaign and often the thing that goes wrong with an evil campaign is that everyone just turns into murder hobos which is uninteresting when you go into every single town you go into you kill everybody in the tavern and, and have to fight the guards um
1: right right well you have to and and i have my i, I have also run an evil campaign you have to uh, there still has to be consequences to their actions yeah which, uh uh, which was, they didn't realize a uh, really quickly digression uh, evil campaign uh, their first mission is to uh, they're hired by a uh, by a jewelry store owner to essentially uh, take care of his rival uh, and so they just show up to his shop and kill him in the middle of the street and they show back up to the hideout and their handler their, uh, their pimp is like you are idiots the uh, you know the the city watch is now looking for you. You need to go clean this up. And so they go and figure out how to clean it up. And then moving forward, they're like, okay, we have to be more careful about how evil we are. We have to do this. We have to be evil, but in a smart way, which, uh, yeah. which can be a lot of fun to be honest.
0: Well, yeah. that And this sort of gets me thinking about like, okay, cool. Well, now it's your job to take these fruit out into the world and plant the seeds. Right. And perhaps you're going to, different towns and different cities and planting these seeds all around the, the the area or perhaps you're you now have to stop uh the adventuring parties that are coming into the sunless citadel it just opens up a lot of little interesting uh things you may not want to be bark skinned but uh you know that might make things a little difficult um and and you know gray-eyed but
1: well, I you just said their up. skin was bark like and you know, they're they're not, you know, ants walking around. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, ultimately uh it's kind of cool because it, it it sort of stats the tree. Uh ultimately that if you take down the tree you can actually save Sir Bradford and Shawan uh, from the tree and take down Oh, the other thing about Black is he has a giant frog right uh, uh that's named uh Kulkut, which i really like i don't know why i think it's cool a giant frog is is an interesting i mean an interesting
1: pet, pet like yeah a little
0: yeah as opposed to the... like
1: you know like a like a warg or anything typical like that You're like it's a giant frog
0: yeah the mcdm mcdm uh beast hearts um character class has monstrous companions and one of them's a giant toad and we played like a a a pirate themed uh campaign i say campaign it was only about three adventures but that's campaigny enough um where i had like this a, a giant toad as my as my companion which was cool um check it out it's actually really really great uh Addition to to your character classes, um, and I guess that's what Black's doing there with his giant toad.
1: Um, yeah, he he does. He mentions that uh, that talking to the player characters, talking to the to the party, that your remains would enrich the compost, but you'll better serve my needs as supplicants. Plus, you retain your lives after a fashion. Surrender your weapons and submit peacefully or it will go worse for you. So, yeah, I do, I mean, and again, like every time the players, you think the players are going to zig, they zag, yeah. you know, you, um, you know, the the um, the NPC that is supposed to be there with to give one scrap of information ends up being one of the most important PCs of the entire campaign because the party absolutely falls in love with them. I mean, uh, Jarnathan from the D&D movie is a, Oh yeah, uh, he's getting
0: his own book I think. Yeah,
1: he's it's absolute uh, like perfect snapshot of and there so someone should name this this sort of uh, um phenomenon, this NPC uh like uh, adoration that that happens. Um but you know, you think the players going to do one thing, they do something else and it would be very interesting to have a a PC party say, "You know what? Like yeah, why don't we do this? Let's go ahead and become yeah. these supplicants, become these these weird type creatures, and start sowing these uh these evil seeds all across the land.
0: And and you know you might your party might actually have a, a druid and and a, and a wizard who's into necromancy and uh, you know a cleric who's a who's a um, also a sort of a, a necromancer god worshiper, and they this is what they wanted maybe it's a brand new quest hook it's like you need to go and meet but like like that's actually the quest right quest is like to to go and meet him and and see what he's doing and be like are we taking the tree from him or are we joining him
1: right are Uh, we taking it for ourselves for our own purposes or are we joining the operation uh well gothias uh our old vampiric friend uh dragon aficionado uh, would say that necromancy and faith are indistinguishable are one and the same. So,
0: yeah, there you go. He's, <laughs> he's for it. He's all for it. Uh, and that might be, yeah. Okay. So it's, this is, this conversation really, uh, solidifies my idea about this being a great starting adventure because it, yeah, you know, in the adventure, you start in the town, um, I personally, for for brand new players, I don't really like starting in towns because it, 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 there's too much option. Option, right? Which I know that's what the game's about, but like the amount of times we've spent an hour and a half uh, in the in in town talking to random people and trying to buy things at the shop and being disappointed because it's a first level town, um, right? There there's,
1: start- the, there. there's a time for the sandbox and there's a time for the railroad.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think I think starting off, it's good to a little bit of railroading rail, 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 at the very start of an adventure, as especially a camp- campaign. So I have often started this at the start of where like there's a little campsite above the ravine where you, where other people have stayed, uh, other adventurers and, and goblins have stayed. So I often start it there, and then they just and sort of do a bit of background information as to why they're there and make those decisions then with the with the players and then yeah, just can, dive straight into it.
1: And you can have um, like story mechanics. Um, I know we just ran for the um, Tales from the Tower actual play that, that we're running now. We did one of the adventures from Keys from the Golden Vault and um, in that they find a, a map from a previous adventuring party. And yeah, I so, love that shit. Oh, that's and so, so good. yeah, so you could do something like that. You could find the previous party's notes or whatever it may be, and immediately like that's the information you need. Those it gives you all the story hooks, you know, the location where you need to be, and you don't necessarily have to talk to a dozen NPCs who mm. only have you know four pieces of information between all of them.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and like, don't get me wrong, I think that. Giving players as much choice as possible is great, but wait, wait, if you've got a, like a, a new group of players, maybe especially if they're new to the hobby entirely, that's kind of my thing. Is I, I'm often running for people who are very new to to RPGs, and it can feel a bit nebulous to them. Like it can feel like there's there's just so many options, and right. and, and whereas I find getting them into a dungeon or to, or to an adventuring site. As early as possible can can reduce that um, decision fatigue. You know,
1: no, uh, absolutely.
0: But but then in saying that, Oakhurst is actually a great one because there's not a lot happening and there's not a lot of options. and And I didn't know this until yesterday when I was researching. But the third edition artwork uh, is different, and it has some really really handy stuff to. Uh, explain things like the ledge that you I was just talking about that you camp at there's a point of view piece of artwork of what that looks like because it is a bit the, the the description is pretty hard to figure out but then it also has a tiny little point of view map of Oakhurst uh, and an overland map between Oak, Herk, Oakhurst and the Sunless Citadel um, as well as a cutaway map of the Sunless Citadel. So there's all these little things in there that just make this adventure um a little bit easier to comprehend in your mind. So if you are, are keen on running this in fifth edition, I would get onto the it's on the DMs Guild for, for five bucks or something.
1: Yeah, you can buy a and, PDF of it. Yeah, yeah. Edition. Get
0: get those little pieces of artwork are just gonna make your I mean I honestly look like when I looked at this last night, I was like, oh, man, that's so good. <laughs> it just completely uh, orients everything much better in my mind. Uh, and I, I have literally ran this adventure about 20 times. So that's, uh, that is saying something. It's very, very good.
1: Yeah, so you uh, can find the fifth edition version in Tales from the Yawning Portal, which is an anthology of mm. older adventures that have been uh revamped and redone for fifth edition rules. Uh you can find the original uh third edition uh module like Stuart said on DM's guild get yourself a PDF of that. Uh yeah it's it's considered an all-timer uh because it's got so much um it can do so much and also uh be as simple as just a simple dungeon crawl. Yeah it can it can be just uh like easy like you know you know, sit, you know, run of the mill missionary style of dungeon crawl from point A to point B. You know, you start at the beginning, you end, you kill some stuff on your way to the end, and then you got yourself the big bad. But then yeah. it could be so much more if you want it to. So again, it's it's the beauty of the writing. So, uh, well, thank yeah. you so much, Stuart. Let's talk before we wrap up. Let's talk about the Abbott trilogy again really quickly.
0: Yeah, sure. So the Abbott trilogy is three adventures adventures. Sorry. Uh, Abbot's Moor, Bitter Peak, and Steel Hollow, and they are all linked. So Abbot's Moor is a r- relatively random generated hex crawl through a swamp, um, looking for someone called the Abbot, uh, who is a the the troll priest, um, and that the troll priest becomes the uh, essentially the quest giver that sparks you on on an adventure uh, to because he's 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 like, look, I'm gonna, I've got all this cool stuff that I can give you. Uh, none of my disciples will leave the, the swamp. Um, so I would like it if you could go and get this stuff for me. He doesn't say it like that. He's not super polite. But yeah, he's, <laughs> uh, um, which sends you to, off to the bit of Peak, which is a, a, a hex crawl, but more survivally focused um, crawl through a frozen tundra. Um, to the the peak of a mountain called the Bitter Peak, uh, to find something called the Demon's Bane, uh, and from there it's off to the Steel Hollow, which is uh the desert themed uh, adventure, um, and to find a god that is supposedly trapped underneath. Uh, in the still hollow Uh, they have all they're all kind of linked they were written individually and weren't necessarily they weren't connected in any way and so my job has been over the last few months is to write all the connective tissue which has been super fun because Abbotsmore was the first one I wrote and that's got quite a bit of like weird sort of sci-fi elements to it like whilst it's ancient fantasy the stuff that's found there is like pretty sci fi you know, like there's clearly alien influences and, and strange uh, ultra-lightweight metals and, um, you know, like laser blasters that only have a certain amount of charges and strange magics that that's actually just technology. Um, so weaving that stuff into all, of, all three of them has been really, really fun. Um, so, yeah, it's three zines, three separate zines. Uh, running on kickstarter there is a whole heap of information on the kickstarter we have first stretch goal has been reached which is uh, a pamphlet called untrodden paths which is a overland adventure pamphlet that you can use to generate um, quests and encounters while traveling between uh, the three adventures and then we've just done the second stretch goal which is a map um, of So this will be like a a relatively generic. um, When I say generic, I mean, it's not, it's not placed. It's not going to be named as such, except for a few locations, which will be Abbotsmore, Bitter Peak um, and Still Hollow or Maps Edge is, is the town that, that Still Hollow is near. And then I'm also going to put Largshire in there, which is another system agnostic thing I've made as, and, Winterbrook which is another adventuring site from another adventure and then there'll be other little spots that are that
1: are Stuart verse as it were
0: the Stuart verse yeah yeah it's <laughs> the, the the uh yeah that's essentially what it is yeah I love it I
1: going. absolutely love it like I said I'm I'm a huge fan of what's so rotten <laughs> and wretched wastelands I mean the, the writing's fantastic the, the yeah. artwork is amazing um and the artwork that um you posted for the Abbot trilogy looks just as good yeah awesome i'm stuff. working
0: with with um uh, kirill changov again uh we just get along really well he's a great artist he's in uh, belgium i believe um and just has great style he is really good at it's really quite uncanny how he can take the things that i say and write and turn them into what i see in my mind um it's really cool and i love working with them they uh and they're they are they've got so much art coming for this um we are uh, we've probably got about i think we've got about eight pieces per book and each book is 16 to 20 pages plus a couple of maps um lots and lots of cool art on the way um so yeah, jump onto Kickstarter. It's running until the 21st of February. So there's about five days left. Um, and yeah, exciting times. We, uh, we also have teed up with uh, Space uh, Space Penguin Inc., which is a, a new tabletop RPG company uh, and distributor. And they're in the US. So the shipping for US has now reduced from about $25 US to about $11 US so oh, uh, awesome. if you are in the US there is some uh, some good news for you guys
1: that is good news uh, yeah like I said I've already I backed it as soon as uh, as soon as, as as it was launched and not just because you're an old friend but because quality is always there um, yeah at the time of this release you still have a couple of days to back it um, it looks fantastic I've been wanting, and it's system agnostic, so you can run it in any system, whether it be Dungeons & Dragons. Um, I'm probably going to run it in Morkborg. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Easy. Because, I, because I love Morkborg so much, and just, like, aesthetically, they, it seems like a, a better match. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you, I can't yeah. wait.
0: If you are curious, and you're like, hey, I don't know how that'll work. I have I have written in the, the FAQ a little... Uh, thing about what does system agnostic mean and there's an example of a um, a stat block and also there's an example of how like a skill or a save might be used as well Um, so they're just written in ways that are that are easy to align to whatever system Um, and Morkborg so easy because it's almost exactly the same sort of (laughs) stat block
1: yeah I mean Morkborg or even Shadow Dark I just you know, just received uh, a shadow, oh, yeah, shadow duck, which, and I've been dying to like play that as well. So, uh, it's, yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun <laughs> regardless. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm hoping to have some of the PDFs at least in a, um, I think Abbott's more PDF without the artwork will be going to back as early as like a, Hey, this is what you can expect. Uh, you know, by the end of the year, um, just so you can yeah so people can make a start and have a look and and and, and see how that goes and also get feedback i'm always keen for feedback before something's officially uh released so that's um yeah jump on board folks
1: absolutely like again uh links to all that are in the show notes so definitely check it out support some indie uh tabletop role-playing games and uh you'll i mean it's it's gonna be a great time it's gonna be an awesome time. Stuart, thank you so much for joining thanks for talking lore and th- thanks for talking sunless citadel with us
0: no, thank you very much for having me. And thank you all for listening to my rambling.
1: <laughs> they're, they're, they're used to it. They, they listen uh, to me week in and week out.
0: <laughs> cool, cool, cool.
1: And it is very much appreciated. That about wraps it up for us. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, thank you, Stuart, for joining us. Fare thee well, dear listener. And until we meet again, may all your 20s be natural.
0: Thank you for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, consider following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at DNDLoreCast. Or jumping into the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons & Dragons. We'll see you soon.
1: You've been listening to a Robots Radio Podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.